In February of 2005, Capcom released Shadow of Rome, an action-adventure game set in, well, ancient Rome. Before it even hit the shelves, they anticipated a successful release and began planning a sequel. But there was one problem. Shadow of Rome did not sell well. Rather than throw all their work away, the development team decided to take the concept and change its characters, setting, and time period. And what they came up with became the beginning of the Dead Rising series. Today, we're going to look at the history of Dead Rising and of its creator, Keiji Inafune. So stick around and join us as we take one mega-sized trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 154th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, a technology, just something relevant to this week in gaming history. While teaching you about said topic, we hope to teach you something new about it. What it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Dead Rising, the action-adventure zombie-slaughtering game developed by Capcom and released in August of 2006. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who always takes his camera with him everywhere. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what kind of weird-ass things are you taking photos of this week? Well, a lot of photos. You know, just taking pictures of pictures. And then you try to find pictures that are taken of pictures that are taken of pictures. And you just keep trying to get as many layers as you can. But you can't use your own pictures. Pickception, Dave. What? <laughs> Foception. Photoception. There you go. Foception. I like it. Foception. Okay. Um, cool. And to be fair, Dave, keep in mind that I'm not the only one who keeps my camera with me everywhere I go anymore. No, that's, that's, that's common. True. Yeah, well, not as a photojournalist, though. But I guess I everyone's mean, a photojournalist, huh? Everyone basically is. All you got to do is pull out that phone and click, click, click. What have we been playing this week? Well, Dave, this week has seen RuneScape and Rocket League, as is the norm. And then a little bit of American Truck Simulator. Getting to cruise the good old USA without leaving my seat. Nice. How about yourself? Uh, played some Rocket League. Played some Forager. And I played... I, I, so I spent a few days this week laid up with a back injury. And then Forager was spent like with me laying on the ground and my phone like wedged into my bookcase upside down so I could look up at it. <laughs> nice and playing with my playstation controller on xbox cloud <laughs> on my phone because <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't fucking move man well when gaming is life you make it work that's exactly right and i downloaded and played like 10 minutes of far cry 6 because i've already tried it i'm like three hours into it and i meant to pick it up you know but i my intention was to move my butt to the couch and play, you know, in the living room, but I I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, so that didn't work. But I'm, I played like 10 minutes somewhere while I was setting it up. Well, hey, that's something. And what'd you think? Oh, I like Far Cry. I mean, I like Far Cry. They're all the same, but you like them all. That, I mean, that's just the honest truth. Like, they're, they're all the same. If you like one, you're going to like the rest because the gameplay is... it's the same gameplay loop over and over and over, you know? Fair enough. And the gameplay is enjoyable. I enjoy it. I do. I mean, like I said, I got three three hours into it on like a free weekend and uh, put it down. And I bought it when it was on sale once and it saves your progress. Like Ubisoft Connect saves your progress. So when I downloaded it this time, it picked up at like the three hours into the demo where I was last time. So, oh, that's neat. 
Yeah. So I don't have to I don't have to go back on everything. But yeah, so Forager, Far Cry, and Rocket League. That was my gaming that was my gaming weekend. Hell yeah, it's always fun to get new ones. Right on. So today, Dead Rising. You have experience with Dead Rising? I have played one of them. I don't recall which one offhand. Uh, it was for the 360 or the one most likely. Um, but it's not that I didn't like it. I just haven't played many of the other ones. Uh, I didn't put a whole lot of playtime into the one that I did. So majority of my familiarity is just the, the probably hour I played it. So there's a whole lot for me to learn today. Eh, maybe, maybe not. So in 1987, Keiji Inafune received a degree in graphic design from the Osaka Designers College. Soon after graduating, Inafune was looking for a job with Konami, but he found that Konami was headquartered much closer to him. So he applied for a job with them as an illustrator, and he joined the team later that year. His first project with Capcom was the original Mega Man. Inafune designed several of the minor enemy characters and was then given the chance to design a boss character, Electric Man, which became his first original game character. As part of the Mega Man team, Inafune also drew the Japanese box art, promotional illustrations, he worked on in-game animation and pixel art. His hands were all over the original Mega Man. Now, we talked about this during the Mega Man episode, but that was a long, long time ago. That was our 16th episode. Of course, if you'd like to check that out, you can do so by going back to our website, www.memorycardlane.com. We have a whole archives, episode 16. It's just a long way down on it. Also, back then, we weren't as much history-based as we were topical-based, but, you know, we did a little bit of both. So we kind of talked about this already, but I'll kind of give you the gist of it. Inafune is often called the father of Mega Man. You know, he has had his hand as a designer or a producer in a lot of Mega Man games, like a lot, a lot of Mega Man games. But he refutes being the father of Mega Man. He describes the situation as that Mega Man was already created when he got there. The in-game art was actually designed by the other creator of Mega Man, Akira Kitamura. And by the time he got it, he was simply handed a pixel art design and he was asked to reimagine it as an illustration for various materials. And that's how we got the like weird Mega Man on the box that we're all used to for, for Japan. If you want to listen, there's a weird story about how he got the really weird American Mega Man. That's back there in episode 16. But as Inafuni puts it, he only did half the job of creating him. You know, so good guy Inafune giving credit where credit's due. So as we all know, the original Mega Man was not a huge success sales-wise. We know that now. But it sold enough for Capcom to want to produce a sequel. This time around, though, that other creator of Mega Man, Kitamura, the director of these games, suggested a contest in which they solicited ideas from fans for new robot masters. And it was actually Inafune's job to turn those winning designs into finished professional designs. So Inafune continued to work on the Mega Man series through the NES era. I think I think we got six of them on the NES. And then as Capcom was working to transition the Mega Man series over to the Super Nintendo, Inafune was actually asked to redesign Mega Man for the Mega Man X series, which was meant to present Mega Man in a darker tone. Have you played Mega Man X? I don't know that I've played X. I played one of, again, Mega Man, not something I dislike, just not something I got a whole lot into. I played one of them, but I couldn't tell you which one it was because it was so long ago. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, so Inafune is asked to redesign Mega Man. So he works on it and he does, does, he realizes at some point that the character he designed was not going to be accepted as Mega Man. So he asked another designer to tag in because he liked his character design. And that designer actually worked on the new Mega Man. And Inafune refined his character design to be another protagonist in the series. And that would become Zero in the Mega Man X series. 
when longtime video game producer Tokuro Fujiwara, who we've talked about more than once, he's the creator of Ghosts and Goblins and Resident Evil, two things we've done episodes on. When Fujiwara left Capcom in 1996, Inafune was made the producer of the next Mega Man title, Mega Man 8. So he's an illustrator and a designer for, you know, all these Mega Mans. And then here in 1996, Fujiwara leaves and Inafune becomes a producer. As Capcom transitioned into the PlayStation era, Sony requested that they develop a new 3D Mega Man that was exclusive to the PlayStation. And Inafune was tasked with the job, so he became the producer of the Mega Man Legends series. Legends was weird, but cool. Kind of wish they had made more of them. At some point, he worked as a promotion producer for Resident Evil 2, which was a job that pretty much did itself. Because, <laughs> you know. The first Resident Evil was good. The second one was super good. We did an episode on two, didn't we? Uh, did we do two? I know we definitely did original. Was it two, two? Did we do? I mean, I know we talked about two. Did we do one specifically for two? Didn't we do one? I think we did two because didn't I do it? Because they, they scrapped it. Remember, they had like Resident Evil 1.5 and they scrapped it. I thought we just talked about that in the Resident Evil episode. But maybe I'm mm, mistaken. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I, don't know. I guess we'll have to go back to the website and listen. Yeah, so he was a promotion producer on Resident Evil 2. And, you know, that was a that was a cushy job. Then Inafune helped create the Animusha series. Now, we talked about Animusha in one of those episodes because we were intrigued by it. The first game in the series, Animusha Warlords, was released in January of 2001. This game, Animusha, was conceived as an idea to create a ninja version of Resident Evil set in the Sengoku period. It featured a ninja house filled with booby traps where battles would be fought with swords and shrukets. And we both thought that it was a cool concept when we talked about it. So I know we've covered that. Yes, yes. As time went on, Inafune continued to be the producer on various games at Capcom. He did the Mega Man Zero games, Animusha 2 and 3, the Mega Man Battle Network games. I mean, he just... He had his hand in a ton of Capcom games. Realistically, the next job that's relevant to our story is Inafune's stint as the executive producer on a game called Shadow of Rome. Have you ever heard of Shadow of Rome before? No, Dave, I haven't. (laughs) Me either, coincidentally. Shadow, Shadow of Rome was an action adventure game developed and published by Capcom. It was, it came out for the PlayStation two in February of 2005. The plot focuses on a fictionalized version of the assassination of Julius Caesar. There are two characters in the game. There's Agrippa who's, you know, he's a soldier whose father is accused of murdering Caesar. And then there's Octavanius who sets about proving Agrippa, his father, their innocence. There's this whole plot about it. So, fictionalized plot around the assassination of Julius Caesar. It's got close combat. You fight with, like, swords and maces, spears, bows, slingshots. There's vehicular combat in the form of chariot racing. I'm pretty sure I watched someone play this, but I don't ever remember playing it. I don't remember it very well. I do remember chariot racing, though, so I think I've seen it. It was a game that received fairly favorable reviews. If you go back and look, its Metacritic score is a 75 out of 100. And I don't really think that's anything to shy at in today's day and age. No, that's pretty decent. Um, So as the first game was released, things were looking good. And there was a sequel that was being planned that was already in the early stages of development. So Capcom had intended on making Shadow of Rome a franchise that was specifically targeted at Western audiences. But unfortunately for everyone involved, Shadow of Rome just didn't sell well. Not surprising considering that neither two of us are familiar with it at all. You know what I mean? Right. But all their work was not for nothing. The development team knew that they wanted to make a game that was aimed specifically at Western audiences, but they realized that now they had to make something that wasn't Shadow of Rome. So they changed the story, the setting, and the time period. And what they decided upon 
was to create a game that had a story about a zombie outbreak set in a modern time period in a shopping mall. So Shadow of Rome 2 became Dead Rising. Hmm. It's clearly inspired by Romero's zombie movies. That has come up repeatedly. Actually, Capcom has come out and defended themselves and saying that, like, yes, but that concept's not trademark, so pfft, screw you. They wanted the game to follow suit from the Resident Evil series, but the development team did not want it to be a Resident Evil game. So instead, they kind of focused on making a more comical view of zombies in the horror genre. Um, and the that idea and the concepts around it became one of the game's unique traits. And that is they designed it so you have the ability to pick up absolutely anything and use it against zombies. And I mean absolutely anything. Like, you can walk into a toy store and pick up pick up like a giant duck mask and beat zombies to death with it. That's awesome. So if there's something in the game, it can be used as a weapon. And the setting is a the setting for the first first game, it's a stereotypical American shopping mall. So you can literally go into a mall that features anything we know malls. Malls have everything in them. Maybe not so much now that they're a dying concept, but at one time, let's say when we were kids, you could walk into a mall and find a store for just about everything. Yeah, no, you're right. That's what they wanted the setting to be, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, one of the key components that the team was interested in was the number of zombies that could appear on screen at one time because they wanted there to be the feeling that it was a major outbreak. I remember this was the point that was talked up repeatedly leading up to this game. I'm not going to lie. Dead Rising was a game I was super excited for. We'll touch base on We'll come back around to that momentarily. But I remember it. I bought into the hype on this game. I had this game on day one, if I'm not mistaken. And the fact that there could be, you know, Wikipedia quotes an article that says there is up to 800 zombies on screen at one time. Jesus. Right. So they wanted to always have this feeling that it was a major outbreak and you could be overwhelmed at one time. On top of that, many of the members of this development team had just finished working on Breath of, Fa- Breath of the Fire Dragon Quarter. And they brought with them some ideas about about like development and progression and progress in the game. And they helped the game designers develop the structure of Dead Rising. So in Dead Rising, you have the ability to roll over anything that you've learned in terms of experience, in terms of levels and your abilities towards each playthrough, because the playthroughs of Dead Rising are time limited So you can finish it pretty easily, but then you can keep going to get stronger, more levels, more abilities, you know, you know, so on and so forth. You can do do it on subsequent playthroughs. So they kind of all work. New game plus kind of thing. And then new game plus plus, new game plus plus plus, new game plus 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 plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, your progression is not limited to one playthrough. Your progression keeps going until you're done playing the game. So. So, yeah, needless to say, they all got to work. They put all these systems together. They hyped it up. I bought into the hype. They got to work on Dead Rising. And they released it to the world on August 8th, 2006. And speaking of releasing, Rob, each week when we release a new episode of our podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane to our listeners, we do it through our use of Zencaster. That's right. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast or currently recording a podcast? And just overwhelmed with your episode workflow? If so, look no further than Zencaster, the ultimate solution for podcasts that was a seamless and professional recording experience. Zencaster takes the headache out of remote podcast recording. No more distorted audio, drop connections, or syncing nightmares. With Zencaster, you'll get crystal clear audio recordings every single time. And you know what's even better? Hmm. Zencaster lets you record your podcast guests in studio quality sound, no matter where they are in the world. It's like having a virtual recording studio right at your fingertips. 
Also, Zencaster's automatic post-production tools make editing a breeze. You can say goodbye to spending hours on tedious edits. And you can focus on what you do best, creating amazing content. And here's something. Zencaster offers real-time communication during recording, making it easy to collaborate with your co-host or interviewer. You'll feel like you're in the same room, even if you're hundreds of miles apart. That's right, Rob. We don't have to, like, use Discord or our or Snapchat or anything to talk with one another. You have the ability to chat with one another right through the recording screen. And there are even footnotes that we can set up with one another if there are things I need to make you aware of ahead of time or things I need to share with our guests or, or you know, just things that you need to be aware of. So whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, Zencaster has got you covered. Its user-friendly interface and intuitive features make recording a stress-free experience. So if you're ready to take your podcast to the next level, head over to Zencaster.com and sign up today. You won't want to miss out on this game-changing tool for creative content creators everywhere. And we have a special offer for all of our listeners. Head on over to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our offer code memory card lane, all one word, and you can get 30% off the first month of any premium Zencaster plan. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com forward slash pricing and use our offer code memory card lane for 30% off your first month of any Zencaster premium plan. Record, collaborate, and create with Zencaster today. And you know what, Rob? Collaborate and create is exactly what that development team at Capcom did right up until the release of Dead Rising in August of 2006. So for those of you who don't know what it is, Dead Rising is an action-adventure game. It's the first game in what became the Dead Rising series. It follows a photojournalist named Frank West, who becomes trapped in a zombie-infested shopping mall. And Frank works to uncover the mystery behind the outbreak before a rescue helicopter arrives in three days to evacuate him. There are various ways you can work through the game, and there are multiple endings depending on how you play the game. There's these different triggering conditions, and depending on what you trigger or don't trigger, you know, you have different endings endings in the game. You play it from a third-person perspective. It's open world. You can go anywhere you want in this place called the Williamette Parkview Mall. And basically, you survive by scavenging for items around a shopping mall to fight zombies and really bad people known as psychopaths uh, while rescuing other people who aren't bad. Uh, they're called survivors. And yeah, you've got 72 hours to do it. Do you think it was this one that you played? Do you remember if it took place inside a shopping mall? You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, Dave, and this may not be part of the series, and it might be, I guess we'll find out when we talk later. I'm pretty sure the one that I played was Dead Island. Oh, was it a first person zombie game? I very well might have been. Yeah, but I remember it being set on an island. Yeah, that ain't a Dead Rising game. Well, then, no, I don't think I've ever played any of the Dead Rising games. I've only played The Island. I think that you'd know it if you were in a room with 800 zombies. I mean, you're describing uh, Left 4 Dead. That's true. So I've definitely played that. (laughs) So I bought into the hype on this game. It was Capcom and Inafune. It was a zombie game. And we had lots of those, you know, we had the Left 4 Dead series and we had the Resident Evils and there was, you know, any number of of things. So I, I bought into the hype. I was super excited for this game. I'm I'm sure this was a day one purchase for me. I'm gonna be honest, I couldn't get into it. I tried to like it. There are a few games in my life that I've ever like pre-ordered and bought on day one that I can say that about. So Dead Rising sticks out in my mind because it's one of the few. But one of the things about it is it's super hard. And I have never had the patience, Rob knows, because he's tried to get me to play Dark Souls before. 
I've never had the patience for super hard games. And this game is super hard. And I've just never had the patience to play through it. Now, I've played it a bunch. I've gotten pretty far. You know, I've picked it up a few times. But I, in general, I, I want to like the Dead Rising series. But I can't. But for what it's worth, it's got it does a lot of cool things. So, like... You can take pictures of the zombies and it had like a, a photo rating system. And like, depending on the photo rating system, you would get like, they were, they were called prestige points and prestige points you'd get for either killing zombies. They were like your experience points. But I remember like, you know, it was pee pee because it made me giggle whenever it showed up on the screen. So <laughs> I know. Right. Yep. yep. That checks out. Yeah, exactly. But the one, so the one thing about it is you can literally pick up anything. Like, that's the fun part of, of this game. There are over 250 different items that you can pick up. They include the things that you would expect to be able to pick up, like a gun or a baseball bat or a two by four, hammers, pistols, shotguns. You know, you could put things together. So you could turn a baseball bat into a spiked baseball bat, for instance. Can you in the first one? Don't hold me to that. You could put a traffic cone on a zombie so it was blind and then it would stumble around blindly. That was fun. Hell yeah. But then there are things that you wouldn't think. Like you could go to a children's store and pick up like lettered blocks and throw them at zombies. Or you could pick up a Barbie doll, so to speak, and beat a zombie with it. You could pick up construction tools. Um, That was one of my favorite stores because there are a lot of construction tools that do a lot of damage to zombies. You could go to a furniture store and and beat someone with a side table. You know, there there just were a lot of things that you could pick up. And that was the fun of the game was to go around the mall and find find things and use them to beat things. But it wasn't easy. There were a lot of zombies and the zombies weren't even the hard part. The hard part were the psychopaths. The, The psychopaths were people you know, that got into the mall and and were trying to murder you. And they were like the bosses of the game because they had their like, if I remember correctly, they had like health bars and everything. And they were all super, super hard. I think the first one was like a car full of psychopaths and I would get run over and die constantly. And it aggravated me. <laughs> I, I remember like a clown guy. I'm sure there's a bunch more. It was just hard and I wanted to like it and I couldn't. I couldn't. And I know I've tried to play at least one other one. I couldn't tell you what it is off the top of my head. I couldn't tell you which other one I've tried to play. But even that one, like I was like, oh, this is fun. But that's still Dead Rising and I'm still not in love with it. Sorry if you are a Dead Rising fan. I tried to like your game. I couldn't. But a lot of people could, Rob. Oh, could they? Yeah, because it's a series. There are more games in the series the the first game won various awards you know best action adventure game in 2006 best action game at the spike tv video game awards that year um it's metacritic scores an 85 out of 100 so the critics liked it too supposedly well it's a platinum series game they eventually released as a platinum series so to be a platinum series i think you have to sell at least a million copies so i'm pretty sure that we know that it has sold at least a million copies. So a lot of people have played and a lot of people have very much enjoyed Dead Rising. And so it became a series, right? So 2006, we got Dead Rising and therefore we got Dead Rising 2 in what? Uh, Dead Rising 2 we got in 2010, four years later. Every time the the people and the and the setting change. So like the first one is Frank West in a shopping mall. The second one is Nick Ramos in a fictional city called Los Perdidos, California. We got no, that's Dead Rising three. Dead Rising two is Fortune City, Nevada, the one that wants to be like Vegas. And you got Chuck Green. I played the second one because I definitely played a Chuck Green game. I remember Chuck Green. And the catch in with Chuck Green is Chuck Green's trying to keep his daughter alive. There's supposedly at this point a drug called Zombrex, which turn which allows an infected individual to stop from completely turning. 
And so the timeline in the second one with Chuck Green is a timeline to try to get Zombrex and prevent his daughter from turning. So that's a casino town, Fortune State, Nevada, Chuck Green. So I played the second one. I do not recall playing any past that. So the third one, the third Dead Rising would have been third dead rising would have been 2013 that's nick ramos and los perdidos after the first couple games and then dead rising 4 dead rising 4 brings the first protagonist frank west back and he is back in williamette where they've constructed a memorial uh where that mall used to be it's like a memorial megaplex, and it has fallen under another zombie outbreak. Man, they need to get it figured out with all these outbreaks. I know, right? But they've made some, they've done some others. They've done some others too. So they did Dead Rising, Chop Till You Drop, which was a reimagining of Dead Rising for the Wii. They couldn't take the Xbox version and just tuck it on the Wii because the Wii's limitations. So they had to do some. They had to do some modifications. So it's still set in a mall. You still have to save survivors. But there's more emphasis on firearms. There's less items to pick up. And the game is more structured around missions than a, than a, a free roam open world concept. And they had to make these changes because it needed smaller maps, less enemies. Um, it also doesn't have the photo system. This was all because the Wii was a weaker system, as we all know. So they made these changes to get it to fit onto the Wii. And that's called Dead Rising Chop Till You Drop, which I really like. They also reimagined Dead Rising 2. It's called Dead Rising 2 Off the Record. And basically, instead of Chuck Green as the protagonist, it brings Frank West as the protagonist. So he can explore Fortune City instead. That's kind of cool. huh? Yeah. They had a collection eventually for the 360, which had Dead Rising one and two and all there and off the record. So those those all those games on the Xbox came out in a collection in 2014. That was Europe, Europe, and then at one point they did the same for something called the Dead Rising Triple Pack. It's got Dead Rising, Dead Rising two, and Dead Rising off the record for the PlayStation four and Xbox one that came out in 2016. That's all fun, right? Absolutely. But the, the thing with all of these games is like, oh, the second game, the second game is when you could combine weapons together. So maybe the second one was the one I was thinking where you could make that stabby bat. Hmm. You couldn't do it in the first one. They introduced combo weapons in the second one. Also, you could play the main story in the second one in two player co-op. And I think that's how I played it. Played it with Eric. I'm pretty sure I played a little bit of it with Eric, but I just I can never get into those. I don't know, Dave. I couldn't tell you. You could do combo weapons at crafting tables. Dead Rising 3 crafting tails were removed, so the crafting system, you could fuse the weapons anywhere. You could also play in two-player co-op mode Dead Rising 3, where the second player controls a character named Dick. <laughs> cool. And in Dead Rising 4, you can... It's got the open-world setting... It's got peepees again. <laughs> and now they have to fight stuff in this stupid complex. It looks like every time the score has gone a little bit down. So like Dead Rising 1 we said was what? An 85? 75? That, no, it was an 85, wasn't it? For number 1? Yeah. I swore you said 75, Dave. Alright, let's go back. No, it's an 85. So Dead Rising 1's an 85 out of 100. Dead Rising 2 is a 79 out of 100. Dead Rising 3... Oh, shit. I was thinking Shadow of Rome was 75. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you didn't tell me Dead Rising that I recall. Dead Rising is a 78, so they've oh, slid yeah. every time. And Dead Rising 4 is a 74. Damn, so it even got beat by Shadow of Rome. Yeah, it sure did. What the heck? Hey, sometimes sequels are great. Sometimes they let the ball slip. There's one reviewer for four who said, I don't like this new Frank West. It reminds me of a less interesting Ash Williams. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's a pretty, fun. pretty good one. Yeah. 
And for those that don't know, please go watch Evil Dead. A sequel to the game, titled Dead Rising 5, was in development at Capcom Vancouver for Windows and Xbox One. The game was set between Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 3, and it would have followed the adventures of Chuck and Katie in Mexico. The project was canceled when Capcom Vancouver shut down in September of 2018. So there you go. Wow, shit. At the moment, no Dead Rising 5. I didn't even know there was a Capcom. uh, Capcom Vancouver? Yeah. Capcom Vancouver worked on all the Dead Rising starting on Dead Rising 2. They were formerly known as Blue Castle Games. They're a Canadian video game developer owned by Capcom with a minority stake partnership by Microsoft Studios. As Blue Castle Games, the company was the creator of several successful baseball sports video games, including The Bigs, MLB Front Office Manager, and The Bigs 2. Can't say I played any of those. Yeah, that's really all they did. They, they made those. Here, look, they made The Bigs, Major League Baseball 2K8, MLB Front Office Manager, The Bigs 2, Dead Rising 2, Dead Rising 3, Dead Rising 4, Puzzle Fighter. Okay, I'm curious now. Dead Rising 4, Frank's Big Package, which I assume was like the (laughs) DLC, and then they got shut down. Well, after that one, yeah, I'm sure they went, they pushed the bar a little too far with his big package and uh, they sure did got shut down. They sure did press their luck with this big ass package. So, yeah, there have been there has been one mobile game. They released a spinoff Dead Rising Mobile in 2010. It gets awful reviews, so we're going to move past that. And there have actually been three films. I, I didn't even know there were films. Did you know there were films? I had zero idea of that, Dave. So in 2010, there was a Japanese film called Zombrex Dead Rising Sun. This was actually directed by Inafune. It features a new cast of characters, but is set in the same world as Dead Rising. And then there are two American Dead Rising movies. Dead Rising Watchtower came out in 2015. It stars Rob Riggle, among other people. It's set between the events of Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 3, and it follows an online reporter named Chase Carter and his camerawoman Jordan as they cover the stories of people inside the Walden quarantine area in the fictional town of East Mission, Oregon. Hmm. Interesting. And then in 2016, there was Dead Rising Endgame. That's my favorite part of Marvel. (laughs) And it continues the story where Watchtower left off, according to this. So I wonder if Zombrex was like a precursor to Brexit. Oh, I don't know. Both. And then could could you call it like if they did a sequel to it, could you call it Zombrexit and have it taken place in England, UK? Maybe. Hmm. That's an interesting. I have friends over on the British Isles. I'll have to ask them. It's interesting. Also, Dead Rising Sun, that being a Japanese film knowing the rising sun is the flag of Japan. It's kind of a cool concept. Nice. What? You didn't know that? You didn't know that's what it's called? No. Yeah, the uh, the, the red circle. It's called the rising sun, if I remember correctly. Dead Rising was a thing until Dead Rising 4 in, I don't know what year did I say it was? 20... I can't remember now. 2016, Sorry, what are, you, what are you asking about? When Dead Rising 4 came out. Ah, yes. Dead Rising 4 definitely came out in that year. Yeah, definitely 2016. And that's kind of that. It is no more. But there, but not all is lost with the story. You know, Inafune is, still has a, a really successful career. Uh, you know, the year he created Dead Rising, 2006, he was promoted from corporate officer to senior corporate officer. He was a producer for the Mega Man ZX series, Mega Man 9 and 10, Dead Rising 2. So he has done a whole lot of stuff. In April of 2010, it was announced that he would become Capcom's global head of production. Isn't that cool? That is pretty damn cool. And like he vowed that... Capcom was going to be different because people were being very critical of its like 
Western games and the quality of games, which is no surprise. I mean, we're through the, you know, Dead Rising, we can see them lowering in quality, you know. I think it's fair to say that games made by Japanese studios don't have the same prestige on American soil that they used to. And that is what that is what Inafune was looking to change. You know what I mean? You mean during this point in time, correct? Yes. You're not saying, OK, yeah. I don't know. OK, that's fair. You think even now? I mean, I think that they're becoming a lot. I, I guess I also have to take it with a grain of salt, considering that a lot of my friends are really heavy into Japanese culture and play those things. Like I was just in a group chat last night with one of them doing a visual novel based on an anime. Um, so I, I guess I had to take it in consideration that like with my friends, I see it a lot more, but I, I still think that Japanese games are doing really well here. I mean, yeah. So when Inafune took over, he, he was definitely disgruntled looking to change things, you know, at the Tokyo game show in 2009, he said, I look around the TGS and everyone's making awful games. Japan is at least five years behind. It was pretty clear. And, you know, it looked like he was looking to change things. But too little too late, I think, because not too many months later, in October of that same year, 2010, he announced in his blog that he'd be leaving Capcom with the intention of starting his life over. Oh. In an interview, he stated, the reason why I'm quitting is basically because I think that the game industry itself which must change the way that it goes about making video games. He cited that job security creates complacency among staff and big budgets with very large staff are problems with the current Japanese game companies. So in December of that year, he launched a new company called Concept. It was a design and production studio, which pairs up with studios to co-develop them and then work on the media from the game outside of the games themselves. In January of 2011, he formed another company called Intercept. This was focusing on game development. His guiding philosophy behind Concept was to work on multiple games at once, work on the ideas that they themselves have created, and have the flexibility of doing multiple genres. He felt that this flexibility was necessary for a company to survive in the modern gaming market. During this time at Concept, Games that he had worked on, he was often given the credit of Conceptor. Uh, that's how he's credited during games during that time. You mean Comceptor? No. Yes. Con. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it would make sense to be the Comceptor of Concept, but you know, maybe he's the Conceptor of Concept. Comcept. God, that's hard to say. I know, right? And he floated around for a while. The next time he did something significant, which we'll have to do an episode on and talk about in itself, was 2013. He started a Kickstarter project for a game that uh, In It Creates was going to work on. Called it a spiritual successor to Mega Man. It was known as Mighty Number no. 9. Did you ever play Mighty Number no. 9? I've never even heard of Mighty Number no. 9. But 9 was a great movie by Tim Burton. No, yes. Yep, 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 yep. In 2015, he worked on a video game called ReCore. Uh, I think that one's on the Xbox Game Pass. He's still working for Concept. In 2017, uh, Concept was purchased by Level 5. Level 5 is a fantastic company. So now it's Level 5 Concept. And Inafune is their chief communications officer. And if you don't know what Level 5 does, they work on... We've talked about like the Nino Kuni series recently, which I think is on Game Pass. Go back and look at that because we talked to, do you remember talking about Nino Kune at all? I remember talking about it, but I don't that's, remember which, which episode or anything. That's the video games that are based on uh, Miyazaki's art. Like it's made by Miyazaki studio. Right. Okay. Um, I just don't yeah. remember when we were talking about it. That's okay. One and two are on game pass. I forgot to tell you that. Um, so they've worked on that. They've worked on a bunch of professor Layton games. They have worked on, Fantasy Life Online. I think that they're in their old old library. There's some Dragon um, Quest. Yeah, they worked on Dragon Quest Nine way back in the day. So Level Five has a Level Five has quite a library. But I think Professor Layton is one of their big ones nowadays. So, and the well, that might have been when we talked about it. Inazuma, Inazuma series. Anyway, so Level Five Concept Chief Communications Officer. That's what Inafune is doing today. 
Inafune has got a lot of stuff going on, but Dead Rising is not one of them because I guess the first one started out well, but then people started to not like them like I don't like them. There, that's my story. Well, you know, some sometimes the sequels win and sometimes they don't. Is that so? I mean, I, you just never know, man. Some games start out with a great series and then just fade off as they, they try to oversaturate things. And it, this could be one of those. I mean, obviously, it seems to have been one of those things with the uh, scores consistently dropping and whatnot. Whatnot? Whatnot. That's Dead Rising, Rob. Indeed it is. Dead Rising and now Dead Falling. But there were a lot of other things that we talked about in this episode, weren't there? I mean, there were a few things here and there. Uh, definitely like, little callbacks that we can talk to. You know, we talked about, you know, we can we can talk about Inafune, and we covered Resident Evil. We covered Ghosts and Goblins, where we talked about Fujiwara before. So if you'd like to learn about any of those topics, you know, we have our whole archive, a whole library of 153 other stories about historical video game concepts. And you can check out any of them by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, you can find a calendar of upcoming episodes, maybe put in some little notes or comments in there, some little fun history facts that you may have about it. You can find a picture of Dave and I and maybe a little bit of information to get to know the people you listen to week in, week out, get an idea of who we are. You can find links to things such as our Patreon and our Discord, where you can come and hang out with us, just shoot the shit, talk some games, talk some life, talk some history with Dave, because Rob not good history, man. Uh, or English, apparently, with that one. We're good. Um, and you can also find links to our social media. I am on multiple platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David underscore is underscore wrong. Indeed. Also, our Patreon. I've been posting our episodes weekly on our Patreon for a dollar, a dollar a month. On the first of the month, a dollar, maybe two. You guys can part with a dollar or two dollars and help us fund this hobby of ours. I've been posting unedited and no ad versions of each episode. So if you'd like to peruse either of those, or if you just want to support us, throw us a dollar a month, guys. It ain't no big deal. You can spare a dollar. Or, or you know, just, just walk up to Dave and I and give us a dollar. That works, too. Yeah. I, I look like a homeless person plenty of times anyway. He definitely does. But I, don't sure. let it fool you. So do I. I mean, we're, we're, we, we, don't, uh, we don't try. But hey, that's because all of our effort goes towards this podcast. Very, very true. Um, and yeah, each week we like to teach you something new about a single topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. That topic can be a, a game you maybe have heard of or never heard of. It can be about a person maybe that you've never or heard of. It can be about technology that has impacted a, one of your favorite video games. There are any number of things that we talk about. While teaching you about these topics, we hope to teach you something new each week. We hope to teach you something that it took from the world as its inspiration or something that it gave back to the world as its legacy. One of the best parts about getting to do this podcast each week is that as we do research for new episodes uh, and have to force ourselves to step out of our comfort zone to fill in, you know, not so popular weeks in video game release history. We always learn new things with obscure topics. Learning is a lot of fun. Even with things we know a lot about, we always learn new things. Each week we learn things and we get to teach them to you because that's one of the best things about teaching is when you teach, you learn. When you learn, you teach. It's a wonderful cycle. So in recognition of this cycle, each week we like to talk about our takeaways from each episode. So Rob, what did you learn today? Um, well, Dave, I think that my, my big cool thought is that a guy who worked on Mega Man, which I mean, I haven't played any of the later games, so I know we talked about it, him trying to turn it into like a darker tone. Um, but I always think of Mega Man, you know, kind of an upbeat, positive thing. You're just fighting bad guys. It's not really this dark thing. And then the guy who was set to create one of the later games in that series is creating 
zombie games it's, yeah. it's kind of a cool jump and like i mean obviously yes a lot of game designers work on a lot of different games and things but it's just you don't really think about it too often and it's just cool to know that someone who created Mega Man also created a zombie game yeah you know the um Mega Man's Mega Buster is one of the weapons in this game. You find it like the toy store and it actually shoots and stuff. It's kind of cool. Okay, that is pretty freaking dope. So it's also now that's another big takeaway. The fact that he uh, was able to have some things from his original projects in there and be able to pay homage to where he I don't know necessarily got started is the right thing to say, but to uh, some of his earlier work. I mean, it's always cool when you can find those little Easter eggs in there. Absolutely. So that's. That's my big takeaway, Dave. What about yours? I never knew that Dead Rising came from Shadow of Rome. I had no clue that they pivoted based on a sequel to a game I may or may not recognize. And they turned that into Dead Rising. I think that's cool. So, No, it definitely is. I mean, it definitely would have a lot more of an impact if you had played it and loved Shadow of Rome and could maybe have seen the... Uh, similarities but it's cool to know that it came from something that wasn't so popular here and albeit maybe not hugely successful it created a somewhat successful game here in america right 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 all right well that'll do it for dead rising and this week's topic so rob before i look ahead to next week is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode well dave as always i do want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. It means the world to us that you join us in on this journey week in and week out. We hope that you enjoy it. We hope that we teach you something. And if not, and you already know all of this, well, why the hell aren't you helping us with this? Because that would be awesome. But for those that don't know everything, we hope we bring a little bit of joy and knowledge into your life and we appreciate the support. So thank you all so much. All right. On that note, let's look ahead to next week where we'll be looking at the company that created the first adventure genre games to ever run on a microcomputer system. And subsequently, this company created some of the best-selling games for various platforms, uh, including the VIC-20. What's the VIC-20? Well, we'll probably learn that next week. Uh, It made text adventure games for platforms like the Apple II, the VIC-20, the TI-99, um... It just an absolute adventure genre library. And we're going to be taking a look at the company and all of its creations. Uh, and that'll be adventure international. Probably never heard of it. I'm not too familiar with it. So I'm excited to get this topic. So join us again next week as we take a text adventure on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do 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 do